This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So all you have to do is just say, play WFAN, and you're going to get Bob Salter, and that's what you're going to get right now. Good morning, Alexa. And good morning, everybody. <laughs> good morning to you, Mr. Mako. Uh, good morning. I'm all fired up. I see you are. I'm all fired up, and I've been summoned to, you know, monitor situations here. And, uh, you know, I, I have some interesting things to report, you, <laughs> and you know exactly what they are. <laughs> you know, Mink. Yeah. In your honor, and in honor of your reporting and your surreptitious investigating of things around here on Sunday mornings. Oh, sure. I took my, shall we say, weekly tour of the building within the past half hour. Yeah. I like to visit other stations, other floors, in some cases other businesses in the building. Yeah. What did you learn? Just, just catching up on things. Oh, I picked up on a, quite a few things. <laughs> Some good gossip as well. Um, and I'll just report this to you as I've pointed out in the past. Once again today, I got in my practice of getting from this floor to the street. Because you know I've been practicing that I know. for years. Wow. I am still mink, still, and my foot is bothering me, but I'm still under three minutes from this floor to the street. Using the stairs. No, I use the elevator. Now, why, why would I practice using the elevator? Now, now how, uh, uh, how, uh, how long did you say three minutes? I'm under three minutes. For two floors? Oh, boy. <clears throat> Actually, 10 folks. I, I walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> Good morning, Mr. Minko. will be keeping us up to date on things happening in the sporting world, and he is fired up, which I guess it's a good thing that I've had several cups of coffee so I can sort of deal with him uh, this Sunday morning. Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you are well. This is Bob Solter. Hour one of our program, I'm pleased to say that we're going to be joined by a gentleman who has spoken with us previously on our program. We've had some good discussions in the past with Dr. Human Azmi. He is the director of the Division of Functional and Restorative Neurosurgery at Hackensack University Medical Center in New Jersey. Uh, he is uh, kind enough to talk with us on our program. First of all, Dr. Azmi, I hope you've been hope you have been uh, well. Um, and uh, he'll be joining us in just a couple moments here. He has authored uh, numerous uh, articles on uh, the topic of Parkinson's disease, has lectured extensively on this subject. Over the past uh, 10 years, he has been developing protocols, programs, trying to improve the care of patients with Parkinson's disease. And um, it's one of the special areas of concern we've talked with him about before has been this uh, whole idea of what happens when somebody with Parkinson's disease is admitted to the hospital. He's a partner at uh, North Jersey's Brain and Spine Center, and he's the co-author of a publication from Lioncrest Publishing. We talked about this last time that he uh, joined us on our program. It is titled Parkinson's Disease for the Hospitalist, Managing the Complex Care of a Vulnerable Population. Interesting title for a book, and we'll talk more with him about that and also about some of uh, his work as he uh, joins us on our program uh, this morning. And what we'll do, too, is um, make the possibility available for 
folks who may want to join us in uh, our discussion to uh, join us if you uh, want to um, with your questions on point for uh, Dr. Osme as we uh, talk with him. First of all, Dr. Osme, welcome to our program here on The Fan. Thank you so much. Good morning. It's nice to have you join us again. Um, you know, I say Parkinson's disease, April 2019. I guess the question at this point is, where are we in terms of um, our knowledge of Parkinson's disease and, I guess, movement toward the idea of, is it correct to say, managing the disease? Yes. So, uh, you know, we, just like with any other um, treatment, uh, there, over the years, there's these uh, small incremental improvements or, or discoveries. Uh, and then there's a big change with one discovery, and that has happened with, uh, uh, with uh, Parkinson's disease over the, over the, since the 1960s when the first medicine was discovered uh, for treatment. Uh, levodopa was, uh, was discovered for treatment of this medication. Uh, and uh, there's been a, been a couple of, uh, um, actually at least one uh, another a big change, which was the uh, surgery for Parkinson's disease, which is a deep brain stimulation. And we're in the phase of just a, another few small incremental changes, but I think we're at the verge of another big change, either uh, gene therapy or stem cell therapy. There's, there's some very, very exciting uh, um, uh, projects uh, that, are, that are happening, and uh, um, hopefully we'll, we'll have uh, something um, uh, quite different to treat these patients with. Well, when we talk about the population of Parkinson's patients, um, there's a recent study in the uh, journal Nature that is predicting, as I understand, that about 1.2 million people in this country are going to be living with Parkinson's disease by the year 2030. What do you think is contributing to the rise in numbers? Uh, so... I'm not sure if there's going to be a rise in numbers. That, that is, um, historically, those numbers have been uh, the incidence of Parkinson's disease. But I think uh, there are, there's, with, with Parkinson's, how we develop Parkinson's uh, uh, is likely uh, a genetic predisposition, something that we have um, in our DNA, and then some environmental trigger that triggers that. So uh, based on that, I mean, if, if there, there are more environmental triggers, the, the, uh, that, that can explain some changes in, in the numbers. Also, there's better diagnosis. Uh, people are, are more aware of, of uh, Parkinson's. Um, doctors are more aware of Parkinson's. Uh, and, and so that, that may also be contributing to it. And when we're talking about how Parkinson's is diagnosed, what goes into that? So still, um, the way we diagnose Parkinson's disease is based on a clinical exam. Uh, it is uh, the doctor examining the patient, um, seeing how they move, uh, seeing how they walk, uh, and doing a thorough history and, and just looking at the patient head to toe to make the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Um, there still is not a uh, a really reliable test that uh, we can do um, to say this patient has Parkinson's disease. Although there's some advances in imaging uh, where we can get some hints, but still the the crux of the diagnosis is uh, examining a, a patient. So when you look at a patient. What sort of things, I guess, stand out as symptoms of the disease? So Parkinson's can uh, have a myriad of symptoms, uh, and uh, these symptoms uh, are broken down into motor symptoms and non-motor symptoms. Uh, and motor symptoms are symptoms that affect movement. Uh, and these are the most common uh, 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 
group of, of these are uh, for a tremor, for example, is, is one of them, although not every patient has to have tremor. Uh, something called uh, rigidity, which is a stiffness that develops uh, with, with Parkinson's disease. Uh, there is a slowness of movement that develops, uh, and there is uh, issues with balance and with walking. And these really are the four main um, um, problems with movement with, with Parkinson's uh, or motor symptoms with Parkinson's. And then there is uh, uh, other things uh, that uh, will fall into the non-motor area, certain things like anxiety, uh, depression, difficulty with sleep, difficulty with, uh, with uh, um, constipation, swallowing. So it's a myriad of, of different symptoms that patients with Parkinson's may have. Uh, and it is, uh, uh, but they, they won't ha- have necessarily all, all, all of these at once. It's, it's, a, it's a slowly progressive disease uh, and, uh, and progresses very differently in every patient. So. I'm glad that you mentioned that um, symptom area of difficulty with swallowing because this is something that at times has uh, come up. This actually was something that um, developed one of the times my father was in the hospital before he passed away. Um, he, his official um, diagnosis was uh, dementia. But uh, one of his last hospital uh, visits, he was actually diagnosed at that point uh, with exhibiting symptoms of Parkinson's disease. And the big problem was that um, he became extremely softly spoken, and then it just got to a point where it was inaudible, and he was having difficulty with the swallowing. I mean, how complex does that get? And what do you really do for somebody who's in a situation like that? So that that is uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. true. One of the one of the issues with uh, Parkinson's is development of difficulty with uh, with a loud voice. So the voice starts to get slower, as you described, uh, or, or uh, less and less loud, as you described, and mm-hmm. you know very difficult to hear patients, and also affects swallowing as well. Usually, this is in in later stages of Parkinson's disease, um, and uh, there is um, uh, there is actually good treatment for it. Uh, speech and swallow uh, therapy are are uh, quite effective, actually. Uh, and in fact, there is a very specific treatment for um, for these disorders, uh, and it was developed by uh, someone, uh, Lee Silverman, and it is uh, actually called Lee Silverman Voice Therapy (LSVT). Um, and uh, speech therapists have to get uh, extra certification with this and extra schooling with this, but it is actually quite effective in helping teach patients to improve their uh, volume, raise their volume, take deeper breath when they when they uh, uh, speak, uh, and also can can help swallowing. Um, so there there are uh, these these uh, um, uh, therapies, but also the patients have to continue. To to do this uh, at home when, when the therapist is not there to keep maintaining that improvement. Having someone um, in your family who has Parkinson's disease, a um, couple of questions come to mind. Obviously, the first one for many of us who have had somebody who's been diagnosed with this is a direct relative um, will think, well, wait a minute. Does that mean that I'm then potentially going to be susceptible for this? Well, there, that, that is true. Um, a, a, having a blood relative uh, or immediate relative with uh, Parkinson's disease it does increase the risk of developing Parkinson's, but it's it's still a, a low chance of developing it. For example, the chance of ha- developing Parkinson's in, in anyone is about 2%. Um, and when you have someone, a father, a, a mother, a brother, or, or uh, immediate family members that have Parkinson's, that risk can double to 4%. Uh, but but it's still 
of not having Parkinson's disease is is quite uh, quite higher for for people. So you know, um, of course there is concern, but I, we always tell patients that this is something really not to worry about. Um, although there are families where there's very very strong genetic predisposition to Parkinson's disease, uh, and uh, um, and they, they have many members with with the disorder. Uh, that's a little bit different, but in general, even though having a family member with Parkinson's uh, increases our, our chance of developing the disorder, the chance of not getting it is far more uh, uh, than, than uh, getting it. Okay, Dr. Human Azmi talking with us on our program on the fan. Take a pause in our discussion, come back and talk more with you. Also work up the uh, possibility for folks who are listening to us to join us. 877-337-6666 is our number here at the fan. It's Sunday morning on the fan and good morning everybody. This is Bob Salter. We're in discussion with Dr. Human Azmi on our program. Dr. Azmi is the director of the Division of Functional and Restorative Neurosurgery at Hackensack University Medical Center in New Jersey. He's a partner at North Jersey Brain and Spine Center, and he's the co-author of Parkinson's Disease for the Hospital List, Managing the Complex Care of a Vulnerable Population. It comes our way from Lioncrest Publishing. We'll talk more with uh, you as well about uh, the book because we touched upon that uh, the last time that you were on uh, this program. But back to kind of where I was going and putting the question out there or idea out there about um, family members of somebody who is diagnosed with Parkinson's. What is um, it like in terms of, um, I guess, the burden that there can be on family members and also a way or ways for them to cope with that? I mean, do they, they need a whole support structure or just what? So uh, I, I think your your, your um, question is an important question regarding what um, what Parkinson's can do to to a family, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's really important to be aware of of uh, uh, these issues. You know, Parkinson's disease is and not for every patient, but it can uh, become um, um, a a. Uh, debilitating uh, uh, situation and it affects the entire family. Patients with Parkinson's require sometimes medication around the clock um, and uh, the loved one has to to you know make sure they get up uh, you know they they have other symptoms not being able to sleep uh, uh, and this affects the whole family and and so so um, here you, you have someone that a loved one that was uh, um, active and part of the workforce and and potentially with the Parkinson's that had has been taken away so there's also a lot of emotional and and uh, financial things that that go along with it so it, it really does um, affect the entire family. And I think it's important to know that um, there, there is actually um, help out there. This is Parkinson's Awareness Month, uh, April is, and it's important to know that there are um, some support groups for caregivers that are out there. The, the best resource is to uh, reach out to the local chapter of the American Parkinson's Disease Association, uh, the, the, the APDA. They will let you know in each state and county and town where the um, support groups are, and there are actually some uh, caregiver support groups uh, that that uh, people can talk about, uh, you know, the, these issues and and uh, how to cope with them. Uh, but yeah, it can uh, be be uh, uh, affecting the entire family, and it's important to realize that. What is the significance of the acknowledgement or commemoration of April as Parkinson's Disease Awareness Month? I think it's very important. It's important um, to to know um, that uh, there there is a, a large community uh, that is um, trying of a, a community of people with Parkinson's. They're they're caregivers and doctors that are are involved in this disorder that are coming together and making sure that we bring the the Parkinson's bring Parkinson's disease to the forefront. 
um, organizations such as Michael J. Fox Foundation, the Parkinson's Alliance, uh, the Muhammad Ali Foundation have done a lot to bring awareness to Parkinson's disease. And this kind of coalesces every month and into into the, the uh, awareness month. And it's important to know that because there are great treatments for Parkinson's disease. It is some, you know, if, if someone is diagnosed with Parkinson's, it's not all doom and gloom. There are great treatment options for it. Uh, we we have to be best advocates for ourselves. We have to uh, know there's really good things out there and how how we can uh, help uh, ourselves and how to, to how we can live better with with the disease. So um, that's that's a very important aspect of the Parkinson's Awareness Month. Um, the other um, important thing is, and we 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 need to raise. Uh, uh, funds for research for Parkinson's disease, and uh, again through these organizations that I mentioned, uh, um, and through the uh, through the uh, um, uh, knowledge of, of through bringing uh, the, the awareness uh, at least in the month of April, but also specifically uh, in the month of April, there is something called the Unity Walk that just happened yesterday, where uh, all organizations come together and they do a walk in Central Park. And every uh, dollar that is raised uh, uh, from that goes directly to to research, and it's a great event that that happens annually, and, and millions literally have been raised for um, for research in Parkinson's disease. So uh, we we have to be uh, better advocates for ourselves, uh, for our family members, um, uh, to be able to live, for now live well with Parkinson's disease, and and God willing to have something. Uh, um, closer to a cure soon. Okay. The medical treatment options at this point, what are we seeing? What's the latest? So the, there are um, very, very good uh, symptomatic uh, treatment medications. So uh, there are medications that help um, uh, treat the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. A lot of them are the motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Uh, the mainstay of treatment is is uh, uh, a pill that replaces the neurotransmitter that that we we um, we lose or is depleted in Parkinson's, which is dopamine. And this medication is called uh, carbidopa levodopa, uh, or the brand name is Cinemet. And this replaces uh, uh, what uh, what has been depleted. Um, and um, there are other medications that uh, uh, mimic the effect of of uh, uh, dopamine. And there are other medications that that uh, um, help dopamine stay around in the system longer. So these are several classes of medications. Uh, and a, a few years ago, uh, a, a patch was developed uh, that is uh, releases one, one of these agents into the body. The patient doesn't have to take them, um, and that that was that was actually quite uh, uh, quite nice to have for certain patients. There are now uh, there is an inhalable form of of the medicine that just was uh, released uh, that does help a certain population of. of uh, Parkinson's patients, and there's a few other medications that have come out for specific symptoms of Parkinson's disease uh, that we did not have available before. So we, uh, now there's a myriad of, of medications uh, all directed at the symptoms of Parkinson's disease, uh, and I think the best thing patients can do is to uh, seek a movement disorder specialist that is an expert in treatment of Parkinson's disease and uh, ask them about the these medications, you know, the pros and cons and what's new and and often they're the best resource for uh, providing these, uh, uh, the information about these medications for them. And what about on the surgical side? What are we seeing in terms of the treatment options there? So the surgery, when, when um, uh, for some patients where it becomes difficult to manage with medication and they develop certain symptoms uh, after being on medication for for a long period of time, uh, we well, we have available a surgery uh, called deep brain stimulation where a pacemaker is inserted in the brain and uh, we have control over the pacemaker 
and uh, over the uh, um, uh, we we adjust the settings of this pacemaker to uh, improve the symptoms of Parkinson's uh, for the patient. It's a very very effective treatment option for a specific group of patients, not for all patients, but for the correctly selected patients is actually an excellent treatment option. Um, there is um, now a an, another. Um, it's partly it's partly surgical where. Uh, the medication is delivered into the gut, into the um, uh, gastrointestinal system directly, um, and uh, but it has to be done through uh, a, um, a tube that is placed into the gut, and uh, the tube is, is connected to a pump that continuously gives the medication, and that actually has helped quite a bit. Again, certain. Uh, Patient populations uh, is not for every patient, but th- these are these are uh, some some uh, good options for some patient populations where medication becomes difficult to to manage. So these are the approved uh, options for uh, uh, for uh, surgery for patients with Parkinson's disease. Now you alluded earlier, if I remember this uh, correctly, to the fact that your hospital, uh, Hackensack uh, Meridian Health University Medical Center, has this new um, clinical trial for Parkinson's patients that involves gene therapy. Would you tell us a little bit about that? And the big question there too is going to be, well, who then qualifies as a candidate for that? Um, yes, very good. So this is, there's a very exciting uh, um, gene therapy um, that has uh, is uh, just uh, opening and opening for patients. Uh, it is called the Restore One study, and uh, this involves um, uh, placing uh, a, a gene in the brain that will help continue to produce dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter we need uh, for uh, for uh, uh, normal functioning of the brain and which is depleted in, in patients with Parkinson's. So as, as in terms of uh, the selection process, uh, there are very strict criteria, which we called inclusion criteria, people that um, are qualify for the study and there's an age requirement um, and there's a requirement that the patients have at least four years of Parkinson's disease and uh, they are on these medications, the carbidopa, levodopa. Um, and so there is a selection criteria for this, uh, but it's a very, very exciting uh, um, a trial in the sense that um, at least in the preliminary studies, it's been demonstrated that uh, patients are, 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 have done well and are doing well and are requiring less oral uh, medication as time goes on, uh, and that's uh, that's a very exciting uh, um, uh, um, uh, option that is available for them. When you mention that, um, why is it a requirement that somebody has to have had this for four years? So there, uh, Parkinson's is a very slowly uh, progressive uh, d- disease, and. Uh, there are other disorders that may mimic Parkinson's disease, some things we call atypical Parkinson's disease. And it is, uh, it's important to distinguish them for, for uh, a number of reasons. One is the response to medication. Um, some the atypical uh, Parkinson's disease uh, uh, family does not often respond to medication. And, uh, uh, and that, this uh, differentiation takes some time to to um, uh, surface. Uh, so we we want patients, even even with uh, with other surgeries, we really want to make sure these patients have uh, the uh, real Parkinson's disease and not an atypical Parkinson's, and that may take a few years to to surface itself. So that that's really one of the main reasons that uh, uh, that that time frame is is uh, uh, there. When I asked you before about um, the symptoms and about diagnosing Parkinson's disease, one thing I did not ask about is, have you run across, do you have people who will 
come to you who've been misdiagnosed? Yes, actually, that that does happen. Uh, there are uh, other disorders that may mimic Parkinson's disease, and uh, um, it, it is possible to be misdiagnosed. In fact, um, we we really ne- rarely make the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease in the, on the first visit, especially if it's a a new diagnosis. So there are certain. Um, uh, criteria that we use and say, well, this patient has probable Parkinson's disease or possible Parkinson's disease, and only after a few visits over the course of time, a few visits over the course of time, do we uh, say, okay, this this really does look like Parkinson's disease. So uh, uh, based on that, it is definitely true that patients may be misdiagnosed with something else, and I I think it's really critical for them to seek out a movement disorder specialist to, to really um, go through their history, go through their exam, uh, look at their medications, and make sure that uh, um, there are no other things that could be uh, causing their symptoms. And it is truly Parkinson's, uh, most, of course, important for the actual correct diagnosis, but also to make sure that the correct treatment options are put into place. Dr. Human Azmi is talking with us on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. At about uh, 11.23 this morning, uh, a white male adult entered the Shabbat Temple at 16934 Shabbat Way in Poway, California. This individual was with an AR, AR type assault weapon and opened fire on the people inside the, the synagogue. During the shooting, uh, four individuals were wounded and transported to Palomore Hospital. Sadly, one of the uh, individuals succumbed to their wounds. The other three are in stable condition at Palomar. As the suspect was fleeing the temple, an off-duty border patrol agent uh, opened fire on the suspect, but it apparently did not hit him, but struck the car as it departed the area. As this incident was unfolding, a San Diego police officer, canine officer, was en route to the scene. Uh, he was monitoring both the San Diego Police Department's uh, dispatch and the sheriff's dispatch, heard the call and started making his way towards this call. Uh, as he was en route, he also uh, overheard a CHP scanner of a suspect who had called into CHP to report that he was just involved in this shooting and his location, which was Rancho Bernardo in the Interstate 15. As our officer was exiting the freeway, he clearly saw the suspect in his vehicle Suspect pulled over, jumped out of his car with his hands up, and was immediately taken into custody uh, by the San Diego Police Department. As the officer was placing this uh, 19-year-old male into custody, he clearly saw a rifle sitting on the front passenger seat of the suspect vehicle. Uh, and the suspect, as I said, was taken into custody without any further incident. What a bizarre set of circumstances. I mean, bizarre and unfortunately, tragic. Now, this is all in Poway, California, which is outside of San Diego. This is a service that is taking place um, in a synagogue on the last day of Passover. The reports were there were about 100 people were inside the synagogue at the time of day, which was 11 o'clock in the morning. And this young man walks into the facility with an assault rifle. I mean, you know, when I first heard about this yesterday, 
sadly, and I do say this sadly, I wasn't surprised. Largely because, and maybe this is the question I'm posing this hour, Is this where we've come? This also ironically was six months to the day, as I understand it, from another awful shooting incident in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area again at a synagogue, again as a service was taking place on a Saturday. And multiple people were killed in that incident. This incident in California yesterday, one woman died from it, three other people hospitalized. But what a bizarre set of circumstances. This young man walks into the synagogue with an assault rifle, shoots. There's an off-duty border patrol agent in the synagogue who shoots at him, apparently does not hit him, but hits the vehicle that he's driving. He's leaving there. And as you heard in the audio clip that we played for you, a San Diego police officer, I believe from the canine unit, is driving to the scene Here's this report. Ultimately gets a call that the suspect has called in and said he was involved in the shooting. Now, who calls in to say they were involved in the shooting and gives his location? And then the San Diego police officer goes to the location spots the suspect, who jumps out of his car with his hands raised. And then the officer approaches him, he sees an assault rifle on the front seat of the car. I mean, what's going on here? This isn't the Wild West. Or is it? I mean, are things this out of control? I mean, isn't anybody else besides me bothered by this? Does this make you want to smack your head? Not just scratch your head, but smack your head. Something does, doesn't seem right here. Big time. Then there are reports that supposedly this young man in California had a whole manifesto of some sort because, again, unfortunately, that seems to be the trend, posted somewhere on social media. So... What is going on that's motivating these sort of things? And then why is there this whole desire to put it out there on social media? I mean, what exactly does all of this really say, I guess is my question. Now, we have one of these rare opportunities here today where we're opening up the phones. I figure it's timely it's a little different from what I had planned to do today. But it's an excellent opportunity for us to speak. So this is your opportunity. You want to jump in on this 
Or you want to bring up another topic. It's open phones. 877-337-6666 is our phone number here at The Fan. And I guess I'm really putting the question out there of what really is happening here? Because it just seems so, so bizarre, the series of events that occurred in that incident. And, you know, this morning when I was putting that audio together that you heard, I was also thinking back to a week ago. And, you know, Ed, we have the other one too. Uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral here in New York. This was a week ago. This man who parks his car and proceeds again in a very bizarre set of steps that I'm going to let the deputy police commissioner I believe that's his title, John Miller, described for you. 7.55 p.m. tonight, an individual uh, pulled up in a minivan on Fifth Avenue, uh, left the car there for some time, walked around the area. Uh, but at 17.55 uh, hours, or rather 7.55 p.m., the individual returns to that minivan, uh, takes out two two-gallon cans of gasoline, uh, a plastic bag containing two bottles of lighter fluid, uh, the type of which you would use to light a charcoal grill or a barbecue, uh, two extended lighters, uh, butane lighters uh, controlled by a trigger, and enters St. Patrick's Cathedral. As he enters the cathedral, he's confronted uh, by a cathedral security officer who asks him where he's going, informs him he can't uh, proceed into the cathedral carrying these things. At that point, some gasoline apparently is spilled out onto the floor as he's turned around. Uh, the St. Patrick's employee notifies two CRC, Critical Response Command, uh, from the Counterterrorism Bureau, police officers from our striker team who are outside, uh, that the individual went um, south on Fifth Avenue and onto 50th Street. They catch up to the individual who's carrying the gas cans and begin to question him. His answers were inconsistent and evasive, although he remained uh, uh, conversational with them and cooperative. His basic story was that he was cutting through the cathedral um, to get to Madison Avenue, that his car had run out of gas. Um, we took a look at uh, the vehicle. Uh, it was not out of gas. And at that point, he was taken into custody and brought to the Midtown North Station House. Now, that incident is just a week ago. And again, I mean, how bizarre. Somebody walking on Fifth Avenue, first of all, carrying gas cans, then attempts to enter St. Patrick's Cathedral, carrying gas cans. Now, did he think that he was going to enter unnoticed, then uses the explanation that you just heard. They wanted to cut through there because his car had run out of gas. Who cuts through St. Patrick's Cathedral to get to their car that's out of gas? Carrying gas cans. What is going on? I mean, the mindset here. Is it me? Have I just lost complete touch with reality? Yes. Oh, you just had to walk in at that very moment, that very moment, didn't you, Mink? I mean, this is it's just so bizarre. The things that you're hearing and seeing anymore are just completely bizarre. It's like who comes up with these kind of ideas? And who thinks 
that they're actually going to get away with this, I guess is my question. Why would somebody think that? Now, in both cases, fortunately, and no matter what your view is on law enforcement, there were some pretty smart and swift-acting people in terms of law enforcement. And bravo to them for stepping forward and potentially averting a very dangerous situation. And bravo as well to that security guard at St. Patrick's Cathedral for actually stopping this individual, trying to walk into St. Patrick's carrying gas cans. I mean, that, that's, that just blows me away that somebody literally would even try to do that. And try to pass off that kind of an excuse. So again, I point this question out. And listen, you can take me to task on this. Maybe you'll say I've completely flipped my lid. And maybe I have. But am I completely crazy thinking this is just nuts? 877-337-6666 is our number at the fan. We've got open phones this morning. And we have the opportunity to actually get to Mr. Minko on time after your 8 o'clock update. Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge. Here on The Fan. It's Sunday morning on The Fan, and good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. And on our program this morning, this hour of it, we've opened up the phones and talking about some of these events that have been taking place in the news or things you want to bring up. I've uh, mentioned this uh, whole um, shooting incident in Poway, California yesterday. Uh, One woman died. Uh, And apparently, I was reading this um, piece this morning about that because more information is coming out. Apparently, she jumped between the shooter and the rabbi, um, attempting to protect the rabbi. um, And she was shot, succumbed to um, her injuries. I mean, just an awful, awful situation. Um, But my question is, How can people think they're going to get away with this sort of thing? And what exactly is going on that seems to be motivating these? Because there's just way too many of these things happening. 877-337-6666, your chance to sound off on some of these things or anything else you want to bring up. Uh, First, let's go to AJ in Matawan, New Jersey. AJ, good morning and welcome to the fan. Good morning. Excellent topic. well, obvious, and I, I, you said it yourself, and everyone understands that. Uh, a, lo- a big difference here is the immediate information that we can get via cable TV. Uh, not only that, but, you know, the Internet, etc. Uh, I, in, I shouldn't say I enjoy, but I'm very interested in this topic myself in terms of what, you know, what causes these things. But if you go back in history, uh, it's, you know, in American history, world history, in any you know, in any place in the world, even right now, this is nothing new. I mean, I can tell you a dozen bizarre stories, you know, in the early 1900s where people have slaughtered, uh, you know, many people in different different ways. Um, It's something that will never, ever be prevented, regardless of what you do, gun laws or this law, or you can't buy gas or anything, because certain people are just wired to, you know, certain ways. And in some cases, they're born with it genetically. In other cases, it's environmental, whether they've been abused their entire life or bullied, etc. There is really nothing at all that can be done. Um, And here's another thing, too. It's not just that. It's also how law-abiding citizens uh, behave. Uh, In many cases, they're just asleep at the wheel. They have no clue what's going on. And in a lot of cases, they're afraid to get involved, even though they do know something that's going on. A perfect example is when, uh, prior to the horrible event on September 11th, when, you know, thousands of people were killed. You have these, you know, these men came in here, you know, from the Middle East, and there was five or six of them, and they actually went to get pilot lessons, flying lessons, and they only wanted to learn about taking off the plane. None of them wanted to learn about landing. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm sitting there and someone's telling me that, my antenna is going up immediately. 
Now, you know, why? I mean, and again, um, there is absolutely nothing that anyone can do. This is human nature. We'll never be able to do. It has happened countless. I could tell you so many stories of such bizarre things that have happened in the, you know, 1920s, 1910s. It's, you know, I mean, when you look at how, um, uh, you know, some of our early presidents got uh, shot and killed. Uh, you know, one was by a, um, a Polish uh, radical in the early 1900s who killed the, uh, I wish I remember the president's name, it killed him at the, um, uh, at one of the uh, affair, uh, uh, state fairs, I think it was in Buffalo, New York, if I'm not mistaken. But this stuff is, like I said, it's been going on for centuries and centuries. It will never change. And we have to be careful about not having knee-jerk reactions and making all this stuff political. That's what's very dangerous. I happened to speak to a woman uh, who lived on my block, very nice lady, but it was extremely adamant against guns. And she said, no, she basically said no one should have any type of gun in the country, whether it's a handgun, etc. And I asked her, I, I asked the simple question to her, and I go, how many home break-ins do you think are prevented by the people saying, you know what, I don't know if the woman or the man in there possess a handgun that could take me out. And I, I you know, said in jest, I go, listen, I'll tell you what, I understand. I'll make up a nice sign for you that you can put on your lawn that says, this is a gun-free home, I am a gun against homes. And I said, the chances of you getting a break-in or a home invasion are very high. And on the same, uh, on the other side of the coin, you'll have, you know, conservative Republicans um, uh, who will, you know, uh, you know, would, would allow uh, some of these very high-powered um, automatic weapons, which I believe don't necessarily, should not be in the hands of, of citizens. You know, some people might think, I mean, I'm just pragmatic about it, and I believe that, you know, if, if a person wants to own, you know, rifles and shotguns and handguns of any sort, I think that's totally fine, and we need to do that to prevent against a, a police state. Uh, historically, if you look what happened in Nazi Germany, that's one of the first things they did was confiscate all the weapons from everyone. In fact, when it came to the country of Switzerland, uh, if you Notice the Nazis did not go there for a couple of reasons. You know, ge geographically it was tough. Number one, and number two, Switzerland was known as as being a country where all men and women were incredible sharpshooters. Uh, you know, via hunting and things like that. So the Nazi says, you know, it's not worth it. We're not going in there. And so what it was Switzerland was you know was able to protect themselves to to that. So it's such a fascinating history. And I just, um, I, I just would like to make a suggestion to people out there who do get a knee-jerk reaction to what goes on, uh, uh, you know, in today's day and age. And again, you know, we just know these things instantly. To sit back, take a deep breath, um, and just, you know, read some history, and you'll be shocked as to some of the things that happened. So anyway, I think your, I think your shows are fantastic. I love the fact that. Um, you do spur a lot of, uh, um, uh, you know, not only conversation, but critical thought. I just think people just react emotionally instead of pragmatically, uh, and that's a huge problem politically as well. I, I think that both parties are absolutely horrible uh, political parties on how to handle these things. I, I, I think it's disgusting, and quite frankly, I think they're a big part of it. One last thing, Washington, D.C., uh, the poor citizens of that city, uh, and, and you know, primarily black, as we all know, and these were law-abiding citizens, many of them older people who lived on their own, who have the right to have handguns in their homes just to protect themselves, and they actually were allowed to. What happened? The government got involved and said, no, you can't do that. And what was the result? Death murder and slaughter that just increased and just continues to uh, continues to. Now, why would anyone, why would a politician in their right mind say, would, would side on with something like that when, when, it, when the result is people getting killed? And you think they would sit back and say, hmm, you know what, maybe that was not a good idea. Let's think about that again. Let's look at the statistics. Why don't we care about the older people who want to protect themselves? So it's, it's, um, Anyway, listen, I think you're fantastic, and I, uh, I really do. 
I'm not being obsequious. I think you're absolutely fantastic, and I love the topics you bring up. And thank you so much for giving me the airways to express my feelings. Thank you very much for your kind words and also for using the word obsequious. And, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thanks an awful lot. Bye-bye. All right, 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. You want to jump in on these topics? I mean, A.J. raises an interesting point. His very first point was about this whole idea of the immediate information age. I mean, is this... Just a reflection of that, in a way. 877-337-6666. Open phones this hour on our program on The Fan. Next up to uh, Eric in Ronkonkoma. Eric, good morning, and welcome to The Fan. Yeah, how you doing, Bob? It's the first uh, chance I've had to call uh, into your show here. Thank you. I'm but i got to say, um, look, you know, this, this uh, individual with the gas cans, too, if I, if I had heard the report correctly, uh, I think about a week or so before that one, uh, he was arrested for a very similar action in in Italy, if I uh, uh, if I, if I remember that correctly. So I mean, this person definitely had it, uh, you know, in his mind to go do some kind of damage to to these churches. Actually, if I can correct you, if I remember this correct, I think it was actually earlier that week that he earlier was. That week. Okay, he was, I knew I knew it was relatively close to that. Yeah, yeah, he was actually. I believe the thing the story was that he was. Barred from or asked to leave or thrown out of uh, Sacred Heart Cathedral in uh, New Jersey. Uh, and okay, okay. The re- yeah, my location's all off, but uh, yeah, the reports. Uh, but, but I, I knew there was another. I'm sorry to cut you off. I knew I knew there was another mm-hmm. report. You know, incident with, with this uh, individual on there. So clearly, he was looking to do something. Now, I I I believe as as the other gentleman was talking about. I think the social media aspect of it definitely plays a big hand. I think a lot of these. Uh, individuals, you know, know that they can get quick attention uh, for really no matter what it is they do on there. And even if it's un- unfortunately at the cost of hurting other people or even themselves, I mean, you know, the, 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 there's an unfortunate fame aspect to it. So. Very much so. I mean, you know, um, AJ mentioned you know, September 11th, 2001. And literally, you know, I, I was visiting one of the other radio stations in this building, and literally, if you look out the window there, one of the first things that comes to your vision is um, the whole complex that now that's where Ground Zero is. I mean, sure, it, Freedom it, Towers it, now. Yeah, it's not even a, not even a mile, I think, away from physically where we are. Okay. Sure. And I know the reality is that one of those planes flew down the Hudson River, basically past this building, past this area, on its way to striking those towers. I mean, sure. those were people who they had zero regard, obviously, for other lives and even for their own lives. And that's right. the thing that I think is pretty scary that people seem to be that much on the edge. Yeah, I, I I agree with you on that. I, re- I really never understood that whole uh, mindset. Uh, you know, some of it seems to be uh, seems to be a religious aspect of it. I mean, I personally couldn't understand that myself. I mean, but uh, uh, I, I, I never imagined uh, when some of these radical groups come out and say they're doing it for their their religion. You know, why that would preach any kind of violence? But hey, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not looking at that way so how can i understand it unfortunately so it's uh it's a tough thing to try to understand uh that uh eric thank you very much for your call and your kind words this morning yeah. too enjoy your weekend thank you you as well 877-337-6666 is our number here at the fan and we're talking about some of these events that have been in the news uh lately i mean this is very interesting points raised by our first couple of callers here you know, the age in which we live, everybody wants information literally on a constant basis, okay? And, you know, I, I'm saying that, and I look to my right, and there's a computer screen here. I look to my left, and here's my cell phone, literally, in here. Um, not even at arm's length. It's barely a hand's distance away from where I am. 
again, we're so, so connected. And maybe that's the thing that comes back to to bite us is the fact that we are so connected that, you know, we hear about something and in this age we can dive in, go to multiple sources immediately in terms of getting that information. You know, it's a completely different way of consuming uh, news and information than used to be, which has had drastic effects on this business and on journalism in general. Um, And that immediate nature of information and the flow of news, perhaps it just leads to a sense of being overwhelmed at times and at times almost maybe an indifference. I wonder if that builds kind of in people too. Just some things to think about. We'll get to more of your calls as we continue. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 